so to complete the, the 12 and to, uh, to find somebody who would take that 12th person's uh, spot. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and uh, he would be the, the 12th apostle. Again, we, we never hear from him in Scripture again, um, only what tradition says about he and even some of the other apostles. Um, so they are still waiting on the Holy Spirit, and so that was kind of what they were doing while they were waiting. And uh, we're going to actually get to the Holy Spirit uh, coming um, to the apostles. So um, kind of think about this. This is kind of will be a landmark time. It will be a, the birth of the church. So we're going to talk about the birthday of the church. So anybody have a birthday recently? <coughs> Last month. Who's had a birthday in the... In, or who's got a birthday in October? We'll just make it simple. Birthday in October? Okay. So how many of you like uh, big parties and celebrations when there's a birthday? Okay. <laughs> and how many, how many of you... How many, Sorry, you're late. The parable of the virgin says you're, you're uh, no. <laughs> Sorry about that. I think when this doorknob uh, hits it, there we go. Excellent. Uh, so uh, how many of you like more subdued birthdays? You know, the birthday comes, you know, you want a head nod, like a text, happy birthday, you know, oh, thanks, you know, but, but you're fine with like, with, with not a big celebration. What's that? What birthdays? Yeah. Yeah, some of it is acknowledging the fact, like, uh, yes, it's, uh, it is that day. Um, yeah, my last couple of birthdays are, are, loom- are getting towards, you know, one of those birthdays, and so, uh, so my next birthday will be one of those, like, today's the day. Um, how many of you, uh, any of you guys are ever, what's that? It's all good. It's all good, I know, I know, I know. There, there are many of you that are on that other side and are like, could be worse, could be worse. <laughs> no, not saying that it's worse for you guys. All right, I'll keep moving on. How many of you guys <laughs> Can you please edit that out? I <laughs> Sorry, that's not what I meant. Um, how many of you guys have ever woken up or maybe even like made it through the afternoon and forgot it was your birthday that day? Has anyone ever had that? No? I, I've had those days. It was, it was a while ago. Uh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> What's special about this day? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now that would never happen. That would never happen. So, where is this going? Where is this going? That's good. Uh, well, sometimes I guess maybe I'm the only one where uh, where some people like ha- like having subdued birthdays. Some even may forget. I guess I'm in that minority. Uh, that oh yeah, it was my birthday. Um, is that uh, that when the, the church's birth is, is what we'll see is really when the, the Spirit of God falls upon that. And we won't, we won't even capture the whole time that the, the church is really born. Um, and you could say, well, maybe it happened a little bit earlier, but we'll, we'll mark it as this day as when the Holy Spirit finally comes, when Jesus is gone, and it marks kind of a new, new era in the church, the church age. But God, when He uh, is... Um, uh, moving in this time, we're going to see that there are certain things that happen that it is unmistakable uh, that this is the time that God is moving, that God is working, and that God is um, is uh, enacting the next phase of His plan. And, you know, several weeks ago when we looked at kind of like that plan that God has had all throughout history, we see that different different events and different markers kind of you know, turn that ship about how God is influencing all of the world, and it starts with, you know, individuals, and then it moved to kind of families, and then it moved through a nation, and then we're going to see that it's going to spread out to all the nations of the earth. And so, uh, this first, uh, we're going to, we're in Acts chapter 2 now, starting today. In the first couple verses, we see that there's no mistaking um, what God is doing. There's no mistaking what God is doing. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues uh, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that first verse says, 
when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So the first question that we have maybe is like, what is uh, the day of Pentecost? Um, does anyone know what the word Pentecost means? <clears throat> What's that? 50th. Good. So it's the 50th. And so what Penta is, uh, is Greek uh, for, for five. You got Pentagon, um, which is a five-sided shape. And so the Pentecost is the 50th. And it was typically what the, you know, Greek was the common language of that day. And it's what um, those that were Jews that were, you know, sometimes called in the dispersion, those that were outside of Israel, um, when they would come back, they would call it the 50th. And so they're coming back to Jerusalem on the 50th. Uh, so 50th what? What is the 50th marking? Is it the 50th thing? What's that? After the resurrection. Well, for the Greeks, the Jewish Greeks, uh, which we actually do know that, and so it's a good marker for us to understand um, when this happens, is that, that the resurrection happened two days after Passover, and so it was the 50th day after Passover. And so this is really a, a Jewish uh, celebration, um, and so for us to refer to the Pentecost is really picking up uh, something that the Jews had referred to. So what was this 50th, you know, 50 days after Passover, uh, there was this celebration where uh, Jews were to come back to Jerusalem and they were to celebrate. And so what was it that they were celebrating? It was known as the Feast of Weeks, uh, which is the Shavuot. What's that? The grain harvest, good. Uh, which is kind of interesting, because if you look at Passover, Passover was another grain harvest. Uh, and there were three, um, really there were three times that the Jews were required to come back, and they all had to do with harvests. Uh, so when the Passover was celebrated, it was the, the beginning of, you know what, what grain? So there's actually two different grains. What, what grain? And I don't know if, if it happens this way. Farming is that, uh, you know, anybody grow up on a farm? Or... Pretty, pretty familiar with grain harvesting. Uh, the first one was barley. And so that was what was um, celebrated during the Passover. Um, and so that was, uh, that was 50 days prior to the time that we're at now. Um, and they sometimes call the Feast of Weeks the Shavuot, which was the seven. It means seven. So seven of sevens, which is 49. And so t actually the feast came 49 days after uh, the Passover. So some would say, why the 50th? And so that has to do with uh, the differences of when actually the Passover was celebrated. When you look at the Passover, some celebrate it on one day and some celebrate it on the day after. And so is it 49 days after or 50 days after? It depends on when you mark the, uh, the, the Passover. But it was seven weeks or typically 50 days, depending on, on how you celebrated Passover. And this, pa this celebration, the Pentecost, marked uh, the wheat harvest. It was typically from May to June is when the wheat harvest was. And so I had to pause and say, like, when do we harvest wheat in, in the U.S.? Do you guys know when we harvest wheat in the U.S.? What's that? That is, that is a great answer. I always, I always thought, like, don't we harvest, like, in the fall? Uh, but, yeah, like, the first, great, the first wheat harvest is actually in June. Um, so because there's a... Winter planting, yeah. So I, I, you know, that was kind of one of those uh, things that I didn't know. So uh, how many times, do you know, Sue, how many times you can harvest wheat? Depends on where it's grown. And how many times you can get that in, right, for enough, enough warm days in order to, uh, to, to fit that in. So that was, that was when they had their, uh, their celebration of the wheat harvest uh, was in May, uh, late May or early June. And that was when it was celebrated, and barley was a little bit before that, and that's what they celebrated during the Passover. It's one of the three biblical pilgrimages. It starts with harvesting of barley around Passover and ends with wheat uh, at the Shavuot. Um, during this time, the book of Ruth is typically read, and there's some other things that are, that are traditions that are held uh, that go along with this, and, and for different um, celebrations, they might read different portions of Scripture. Uh, they read the book of Ruth. Do you know why they read the book of Ruth? What's that? Yeah, so there was a, a, a description of when Ruth uh, and Naomi come back. It's time, around the time of the harvest, and so that plays a big part in, uh, in, 
in that portion of scripture. So it's kind of interesting, like that's, that's the main reason that they come back in order to celebrate this. So the Jews would have come during Passover, they would have uh, gone back to their homes, and then 50 days later, so not, not too much longer, seven weeks, less than two months, um, they would have been back uh, celebrating again another feast there in Jerusalem. And again, it's one of three pilgrimages that Jews were, uh, they weren't required to go, but it was uh, kind of an expectation or a, um, uh, something that they would have uh, made it their effort in order to come back for that. So just like the Passover, where the streets were filled with um, people from all over, we would have had the same thing happening during this time. So how long was Jesus with them? So Jesus was with them 40 days. We know that, that, that he left after 40 days. Um, so does that his, include the three days? I mean, is that from the cross or is that after, the res- after he rose? From the how, they, how are they doing that mathematically? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how they're doing it mathematically. They don't have like a, a chart or table on the side <laughs> saying, uh, I would imagine, what would you imagine? That he was with them for 40 days. 40 days after he rose from the dead. 40 days from he rose from the dead. I would say from the first appearance that he was with them for 40 days. Yeah. So... Um, so if we want to do kind of short math, you know, you could say like, well, that was two days and then we did, you know, and then he was with them 40 days and then, uh, you know, so, so after this, so Jesus was with them 40 days. The celebration was 50 days after the Passover was when he, he died, you know, their whereabouts, how long were, are they, have they been waiting for, um, the Holy Spirit to come at this point? Yeah. Yeah, you say, yeah, so we'll say seven to ten days. So uh, about there they had been waiting. And so in this time, we see that they're, they're gathering, continuing to gather together. In this time, they're, they're praying. In this time, uh, they felt led to um, replace uh, Judas with Matthias. And so um, we can kind of have some, some idea about how long these events were, were going on. And it says, uh, they were all together in one place. Now earlier in chapter one, how many made up the all? that we had had, assuming that we hadn't, hadn't added anybody at this time. Do you remember how many people were, were together early? So there was 120. So there's 120. Um, they were all gathered together in one place. Uh, they're um, in a house, because uh, it says that they're in a house, um, with each other. And so we see maybe that it's part of their pattern, part of their routine, that they're coming together, um, that they're solidified, that they have been encouraged by being with Jesus, and that they are, haven't scattered after Jesus left, that they are waiting and praying and uh, seeking the Lord during this time. And so we know, so the day of Pentecost has arrived, meaning there's this big gathering of people that are coming in uh, in order to celebrate the feast. So they would be Jewish, and uh, they were, um, in, in the meantime, the 120 are gathered together um, in a house. And so verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, this verse about how this manifestation of like what's happening has has come on. So uh, first we see that there's a sound like a rushing wind. So this means... What? That something that they experienced, they all what? They all heard, right? So there was a sound like a rushing wind. It doesn't f- say that they felt, like, felt the wind, but they heard something uh, like a rushing wind. Just like when the day uh, Jesus was baptized, that everyone heard the voice of God. Now, everybody heard something, because if you didn't hear the voice of God in saying something, what did the people say that they heard? What's that? Thunder, yeah. Whenever you hear the voice of God, there, it's always, they use a term that is a sound of uh, many waters, which is kind of the sound of a waterfall. And so there's some sort of audible explanation, something that they've heard, that they realize something is happening. And the second thing is that, so it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house. So the sound fills the house all around, doesn't come from one particular place, and so surrounds all of them in, in what they're hearing. Fills the entire house where they were sitting, and the divided tongues of fire appeared on them. So, divided fire appeared. So, this is something that they all experienced, and how do they experience this aspect? What's that? They saw it, right. So, they saw it. 
Remember we looked at when, G, uh, when John and Peter, later on in their epistles, when they were talking about, um, you know, talking about Jesus, they said, Jesus, these are the things that we experienced about Jesus. We saw what he, you know, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. Like Jesus was real to us. And so the same thing is being uh, manifested to them in an audible and visual way. They see something happening around the room, right? Because if only one of you, it's like when the lights go out, you know, you're like, did you guys, you know, like flickers, you're like, did you, did you guys do that? Or was that just like my brain doing something? Um, and then somebody confirms it. It's like, no, no, I think the power just went out like momentarily. So, okay. So um, the next thing we see is it rested on each one of them. All right. So you kind of, then you, as you start breaking this up, you start thinking about like, why did it happen this way? You know, you start thinking like, well, you know, why, why do you think God revealed him, revealed the Holy Spirit? Why did the Holy Spirit reveal himself in this way? There's an audible you know, you hear this thing first, and then you see uh, this manifestation. And then you see this manifestation. It seems like it was in one place, this fire, and then it divided up. It divided up, and it divided on each one of them. Why, why would that maybe be something that I don't, is significant or, or interesting to note? What's that? Yeah, no one was left out, right? And so it's kind of almost like if that fire was like hanging over each one, it's like that divided fire, like that thing, that manifestation is like each individual understands that they're part of this bigger calling, like that, that it's happening. It's not like they all just experience that and, you know, wondering, am I a part of this? It's like the, a confirmation, a divided fire goes on each one of them. Yes. Okay, good. That's, a, that's another good way to, to think about that as well, right? You know, just because you're part of the group, Judas was a part of the group, right? That's another way, I guess, in, in the other sense, is confirming externally uh, that this, you know, that each one of them are a part of this other thing and that God is confirming that to each one of them. You know, it's, it's possible, I mean, we don't, we don't know, but it's possible that Judas, when he, he didn't hear the voice, right? You know, so every once in a while when people experience things, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I saw it too, you know, when you, yeah, I think of that when you're a kid, and they're like, no, you didn't see it, you know, and so, <laughs> and so you, weren't, you weren't even there, and you're like, I know, but I heard from somebody. Um, so there, there doesn't have to be any confusion about who's a part of this, um, and so that it rests upon each one, because the next phase is going to kind of be an, another important aspect of what goes on because there's going to be some confusion. We'll see that at the very end. Um, so arrested on each one of them, right, shows that this, this uh, fire has been given to all of the people and that no one uh, is left out and there's no mistaking who receives it. Um, and it follows on... Uh, all of them, right, the entire house where they were sitting rested on each one of them. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So this is given to first, who, who is this falling on? This Holy Spirit is first given, right? Jesus says, I need to go away and the Holy Spirit will come to you. And we see that the first group that the Holy Spirit falls upon are those who are the devoted ones, right? Those that after, you know, that that after Jesus confirmed himself in those 40-day period and then he left, that even in the next week, they're still gathering together, they're still devoted to what Jesus had said, that you will be my witnesses and that you must wait for the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, uh, when he spoke about one coming after him, said that he would come baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, when John the Baptist spoke, he probably was speaking of uh, some verses in Malachi, and we talked about them a few weeks ago. Uh, when you see of the baptizing of fire, it usually has to do with judgment. Um, but we see this fire as an illustration and a manifestation of uh, the Holy Spirit coming. Um, it's, we don't see that it's an actual fire. It says it appeared as a fire. So... Was it actually some sort of heat that was, that was generated? There's nothing that describes that, but that was the appearance of what they saw. And what does it say that it visually looked like? That tongues of fire. I always felt that that's a strange uh, description about what it looks like. You know, So tongues of fire. So it visually appeared to them as, as some sort of tongue um, and uh, that had gone over 
over each one of them. That word, when you look at that word tongue, uh, is similar to the way that we would use the tongue. It could either be the physical um, aspect, the, the part of the body, uh, but it's typically used when we talk about a tongue as a language. We say the same thing when we talk about tongues. We either have our tongue or my, our native tongue is English or our native tongue is Spanish or whatever it, it is talking about the language of that particular person. And so it visually appeared in that way as a tongue and then rested upon each person. So they have a kind of a visual about what it looked like, and then we see that not only what it looked like and appeared to them as, is how uh, it would actually manifest to each one of them. So it's kind of a, a double confirmation in that sense. And so at this point, we see that, that, that whatever they're experiencing, we're going to get to the kind of the third phase, it's, it's, it's an external visual sound, what they're, they're seeing, what they're hearing, individually represented for each, each person there in the room um, that they all saw and they all witnessed. And so there was no mistaking what God was doing. There's been times in the past where uh, people will make predictions about things that will happen. Um, there was a uh, TV radio, uh, sorry, TV radio. There's a radio um, uh, host, uh, his name was Harold Camping. You guys remember that, that name? Um, I thought of him when, when I was kind of thinking about this. Uh, Harold Camping in 1994 predicted that the Lord would return and that the church would be raptured. And he wrote a book called 1994, question mark. And he did all these calculations, um, you know, looking at the Bible, saying, like, I think this is the time that the rapture is going to happen. And people gave their, you know, money to this radio ministry in, in order to uh, tell everybody about, you know, um, about, you know, this event that's going to happen so people will be prepared. Well, 1994 came and nothing happened. So he stopped talking about this on his radio program, but meanwhile was doing calculations, and he came up with another calculation. And so this is probably where most of us, more recently, if his name is uh, kind of kind of been you know rung a bell for you, is that May twenty second, two thousand eleven, was the next prediction about when the church will be raptured. Um, and most most churches, you know, just just put them off, right? We already looked at when Jesus said, you know, he would. Uh, that he had to go away, and they asked, you know, are you coming? Is this the time that you're setting up the kingdom? That Jesus said, I don't even know when that's going to happen. But Harold Camping said, it's going to happen. He spent $100 million of the radio ministry's money. People gave up, you know, there was uh, one guy who gave up uh, $150,000 um, of his life savings in order to support this ministry so others would know and be prepared. And May 22nd happened, and nothing happened. Well, Harold Camping, on May 23rd, rationalized that and said that it was actually a spiritual judgment that happened. So Jesus came, but it was in a spiritual way, right? Which is pretty, you know, convenient that, uh, on how to, you know, rationalize and explain what had happened. He said, but the world will end in October of this year. Most people kind of forgot about that, and there was not, not much fanfare, and October came, and nothing happened. And the March of the following year, Hale Camping said, you know what, I was mistaken. Um, he, he finally admitted that, that he was mistaken. What these guys experienced, what the apostles experienced, there was no mistaking, right? And as some of you don't want any fanfare with what's going on in your birthday. When Jesus said the Holy Spirit is coming, it's not like, ooh, I think maybe I have the Holy Spirit, right? If for them, it was like confirmation, visual representation, that they saw it, that they heard it, that they witnessed it, that it was divided all among them. And then we see the next phase of what's going on. So this day has arrived. And what happened is in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is an ex experience that each one of them felt inwardly. We've seen the filling of the Holy Spirit, and there's plenty of places that we go uh, earlier in Scripture where people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit at one time that he was given prophecy. There was times when the tabernacle was created that certain people were filled with the Holy Spirit in order to um, 
make the tabernacle. It was usually those that uh, were gifted in craftsmanship and artistry, uh, were given the Holy Spirit a particular time for particular functions, for particular duties, in order to do certain things. In those days, you saw the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people. You also saw the Holy Spirit leaving certain people. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit worked in that way, manifested himself in a certain way in order to complete a certain job or task uh, unique to how God was working in, in those times. And, uh, but we also saw that the Holy Spirit sometimes left. And so here, though, uh, we see that the Holy Spirit has come on. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're experiencing similar things that had happened in the past. Although now we have a particular way that this Holy Spirit is working, that the Holy Spirit is working in the apostles' lives. And it said that they spoke in other tongues. So we saw the tongues of fire, that um, whatever that looked like, uh, that how those, that fire divided itself, that it looked like a tongue of fire, and that it came upon each one of them, and that they were able to then speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues, again, that word that is, is used is glossa, which is a language, is a language that each one of them was speaking. And so this was internal confirmation that they externally saw that it rested upon each person. And then there was an experience that each one of them had inwardly. And that they spoke different languages. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And so this is how we see on the day of Pentecost, which is a celebration that outside this room, Jews were gathering to come and celebrate um, the, the wheat harvest and that they're coming into Jerusalem in order to do that. But inwardly in this one room that we see um, that it is resting upon, or in this house is resting upon, the apostles and they're speaking in other languages. And so now we see that it's not only for them, but it's not, it's not just for them, that this gift, this uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit is used in a particular way to reach others. And so again, some of you like, you know, have to have a birthday that you just maybe want a small gathering that's not how God is going to work here. That he starts with 120, but he then is going to reach out to many more. Do you have a question? Yeah. Yes. As we accept our, you know, what Christ has done for us, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. It's an event. Yes. Here, there are tongues of fire that come down. Yes. And, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, okay, okay, so let's think about it this way. When, when uh, Jesus was baptized, we saw the Holy Spirit descending as a what? As a dove. So uh, for them, you know, for, for those that are on the outside, it's an external confirmation that something was, was happening there. And so the, um, so the Holy Spirit came and there was a manifestation of tongues. I wouldn't say that... The Holy Spirit is the tongues of fire. Right? I guess that's kind of almost say, sounding somewhat pantheistic of, of applying God to a particular you know, item. But no, the Holy Spirit came, and with the Holy Spirit's coming, this event happened. Now the other thing that we have to think about too, and, and so as we pause, and we'll see that there's several times that we're going to see tongues being spoken, and that, that really is probably the thing that I want us to, to see to kind of you know, have in the back of our minds as we see as tongues being spoken um, with when the Holy Spirit comes on other people, how is it different and you know, how is it changing and what are the particular reasons that we see uh, this happening? Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll elaborate a little bit more uh, in just a second about why it's happening and then we'll see you know, how it, you know, really the purpose of, of tongues here today. The other thing is we go through Acts, it's, it's looking at, you know, what happened in the lives of the apostles. And so, you know, one of the things that I try to glean from this is like, what are the things that are applicable for us? A lot of it is how God worked in history. And so it really is more confirmation for us that like these, these things weren't just like a bunch of uh, 
adherence to a religion, they were a part of a cult, and they were saying these things were happening, but there was no external confirmation of these things. And so all throughout you know, these times, we see, well, 500 other people saw it, or you know, saw Jesus, or we see um, that something happened with this group, and then we see outside something happened, and not everybody bought into it. We're going to see that, that as well. But what happens with them is really going to be unique because we don't see any sort of visual confirmation, uh, meaning we don't see the tongues of fire with any other group when we see speaking of tongues happening. But we do see speaking of tongues happening with the Holy Spirit, but we'll also see there are reasons why we see tongues with the Holy Spirit later on. Because that always ends up being the question, well, how come we, we don't speak in tongues? You know, is it because of our particular doctrinal stance on certain things? Well, you know, yes and no, but it's not because we just hold a doctrinal stance. We hold the doctrinal stance because we understand Scripture about how tongues is revealed um, in particular ways. Not only in Acts, because Acts is the big place that people will go and say, well, look, the Holy Spirit came and people spoke in tongues, so there you go. You've got confirmation. There's, Acts is also a place where you go um, when we talk about infant baptism or we talk about some other events and say, well, look, this is what happened with these guys. You know, why isn't it happening here today? Uh, that's kind of an interesting conversation that I was having with somebody, uh, you know, a week or two ago. We were just talking about miracles in general, you know. This is probably something we, we can elaborate on a little bit later. Um, but when miracles happen in Scripture, even though when you read, um, when we read Scripture, we're reading like the events that happen. And it's sometimes happening, Acts happens over, you know, a couple decades. Uh, but we read it in 28 chapters. And so as you're reading it, same thing with Genesis. You know, you're reading thousands of years uh, over Genesis, but it's packed into 60 chapters, which is a lot, but... Um, you know, a lot to kind of go through. And so, but as you're seeing, you're always seeing like God acting in this person's life. It could be like in 40 years, you know, God has had three conversations with somebody. And we read it in, you know, several pages. So it seems like God is always talking to this person, but then you back up and say, well, God is speaking to this person three times over 40 years. So it's really not, you know, we read it as compressed events and miracles always happening and God always working because this is God's revelation of himself working in history, but it's compressed events. And so when we see kind of what's happening, Jesus' miracles uh, and everything that we read in the Gospels is only a three-year period of time. And so when we see like demons and we see, you know, all of these miracles that are happening, it's really compressed into a small window. And same thing when the apostles, things that are happening, it might be, you know, a year between things that are reported about what, what's happening. There's probably things that happen that weren't reported uh, that we don't get in Scripture, but that's always the things to keep in mind in the back of our heads. That this wasn't like all the time, you know, an everyday event. Every time they came on, you know, came together on Sunday, somebody was being healed or uh, somebody was speaking in tongues. Um, you know, it's not quite the the idea that we gather. It's for particular reasons and particular purposes. Um, which then could lead, you know, lead into a whole other rabbit trail about you know, miracles happening today and, and how, how those work. We want to really focus on what's happening here on this day and, and what's going on. Um, but it is questions that we have and really questions how we address to others as they bring up the same things that are going on. But if we want to just be consistent, well, this is what Scripture says, and I don't know if we can make this leap Right, you know, to say like, well, we all need to speak in tongues in order to be saved. You know, some will make that like if you don't speak in tongues, that you you haven't been confirmed as having the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture do we say this, right? And we'll see next week when Peter says that people are like, well, what do we need to be do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. And we'll talk about that. Do you need to be baptized in order to be saved? You know, so that's another thing. Um, uh, he doesn't say repent, baptize, speak in tongues, you know, then we'll know for sure um, because we'll also see when the people are saved, they're not all speaking in tongues. It's only a select group. And, and we'll, we'll start revealing, you know, we'll talk about the reasons why in a second. But this is what we see happening here. And again, it's visual, it's confirmation, and it's unique to them in this particular experience. And so we're going to get to the, the next few verses, starting in verse 5, that God has not just limited this to a select group of people, that his purpose of giving them tongues is actually to reach a global population. 
that is his purpose in what he is doing. So he, he is, you know, on this birthday celebration, if we want to want to call it that, I know I keep stretching that illustration a little bit too much, but he wants like everybody to be involved. He, and, and that's what we're going to see. There's a whole lot of people around the world around them, right outside the house, People bustling around in the seats here for this celebration of this, uh, you know, this feast of weeks. And God says, I want you to reach them. I want you to go to them. And it says, um, verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, So, in the nation, all you know, in the in the city streets all around them, it says that there were devout Jews, and they were here for this feast of weeks. Right? They already have an understanding of who God is. They already have an understanding of the Old Testament. Right? They have understanding of how God worked in their Jewish history, and so so he so this is the first group that I want you to reach. We see that that's who Paul goes out to when he's going to go to different places. He's going to reach the Jews first. They already have a building block and understanding of who God is. He doesn't need to describe who Abraham was and all of this. You know, it's part of they already would have known. They just, he just needs to connect the dots with this Messiah and Jesus and pull these things together. And that's what we'll see happening in a little bit. But they're also, it says they're from every nation under heaven. They're, they've come from all different parts of the world here for this gathering, right? And they're here for the Pentecost. Verse 6, and of... And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were built bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And so at some point, they're in this house, and then at some point, they're not in this house because it doesn't seem like everyone's gathered inside this house. They seem to be outside of this point. But they've been given this spirit. They're speaking in tongues, and then they're, they go outside, and they're still speaking in these different languages, and people, as they're coming, kind of you know, walking by, that they're drawn to this, right? It says that they were bewildered because each of them was hearing uh, them speak in his own language. Um, so what was spoken by the apostles, just to, to make the point clear, is that what they were speaking was they were speaking the languages of other people, of other men, right? Not some sort of foreign language that, you know, is external, no, not some angelic language. It was actually the language that people heard and understood. Um, they all would have spoken Hebrew, or likely would have all known Hebrew. Uh, they all likely would have spoken Greek because they were outsiders coming in, and that was just the common language that they would have known. They would have known Hebrew if they were devout men, so because they would have understood the, the Scripture and the Torah that would have been read in Hebrew or spoken in Hebrew, and so they would have understand these different languages, but that wasn't the bewildering thing to them, because what they were hearing was something unique to where they were from. It says, they were amazed and they astonished. Are not all these uh, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So what do you think they were insinuating by this when they said, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Uneducated. Okay. Uneducated. You kind of get the same flavor when, when uh, Philip tells Nathaniel that uh, Jesus is from Nazareth, right? And his response was, like, what good can come from Nazareth, right? And it's the idea that it's, it's more of a rural area, um, uneducated, you wouldn't have had a lot of foreigners coming through. Like, where would they have picked up all these languages? They didn't get it from books. They didn't get it from exposure. You know, it's not a trade routes, uh, you know, where people would have kind of picked these up. It's not a metropolitan area where people would have settled. And so it's like, aren't these Galileans? Like, you know, if I'm not mistaken from, from, <laughs> from their accents, uh, could I not understand, you know, where, where are they from? How is it that they're speaking the language, right, where I'm from? And so where were they from? It says, we get this in, in verse 9. So we see verse 9 says, uh, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So, let's see here. Uh, I didn't bring a marker. I didn't have this. So, we're going to... What's that? 
Yes, so but I'll use these things. Uh, Is there a marker up there? All these areas that were listed. Yeah. Yeah, so we see devout, right, Jewish men, devout men from these areas that are there, and they're hearing their own language. So, all right. I wanted to see what were going to do with the magnet. I was going to say, you know, if this is Jerusalem, <laughs> this represents Rome, okay? And uh, we'll say, so this is Jerusalem, <laughs> And Egypt, okay, and uh, Libya. So, water, Mediterranean. <laughs> okay, so we've got uh, Asia, all right, which is Asia Minor, and Pamphylia, uh, Pontus. Cappadocia, all right, um, and then, okay, Mesopotamia and Arabia, okay, so, all right, and you had uh, Jerusalem up this way, Kind of Asia Minor, and actually Rome is, is more this way. You have Greece in between, and Rome kind of over in this area. And then you had Mesopotamia, which is like the Fertile Crescent right here. So Mesopotamia is the, the land between the two rivers. Um, and then, what sea is that? Do I have that listed? Um, but this is like, yeah, it's like the Persian Gulf now. This is like, would be Iraq and Iran. Um, and so you have that area. You have kind of Turkey, which all these are parts of Asia Minor. You have Arabia, where Saudi Arabia would be, right, so desert to get to this way. Down this way to Egypt, so you have Africa and Libya over here. And so, essentially, you would have had all these groups coming in to Jerusalem. And we're going we're gonna to even see the same thing, uh, is that, you know, there's going to be, you know, people from Africa. Um, and we see, like, the gospel spread, you know, and uh, people from all over come into Jerusalem that, Different parts, different parts of the history, whether it was from the captivity. Uh, typically, when the Assyrians took, took uh, uh, the Israelites captive, they were kind of spread in this area. They would uh, transport people out and import people in. Um, when the Babylonians came, that's kind of this area over here. Assyria is kind of over there. But they would have spread because their empire was this whole area. Some fled to Egypt during this time. Some made it over to Rome because it was the capital. You know, Asia Minor would have been a hotbed from when uh, Alexander the Greek came in. And so just because of business and commerce and things like that, right, Jews moved for whatever reason, whether it was like captivity back in their history or just for commerce, that they would have left and then they would have come back, right? And this is all kind of like you see this whole, you know, area within striking distance about coming back to Jerusalem in order to celebrate um, this, uh, you know, celebrate the Pentecost, but all of these different languages, right, they would have their own dialects. They would have spoken their own languages. Even though there would have been a common language of, of Greek uh, that would have been spoken because when Alexander the Great came in, he, he dominated this whole area um, and spread Greek language and culture. Um, they would have, again, understood Hebrew likely uh, in order to, to hear the, the Torah read, especially if they were devout men from all these places. But they would have heard... They would have spoken a, a local language as well, <clears throat> just being from those parts. And so what they're hearing is they're hearing all these people, right? If, if somebody comes from a rural area and this, just this part and they've never left, um, it's seemingly what we find, like there's fishermen and why would they have ever left to go to all these different parts of the world? Um, how could they be speaking all these languages if they're from here and they probably wouldn't have been educated in that? And so they were confused by this, right? Um, and it wasn't that they were just speaking language like, you know, can I buy bread at the market, you know, or just random things that you learn in your high school Spanish class or something like that, right? It's like things is specifically about the mighty works of God, right? Theological. Uh, usually that's terminology that you don't get in, in, in typical language, uh, that they're talking about God. And so, so they hear different languages being spoken, 
but they're hearing particular things that are being said, and it's drawing them in. Um, and so, again, we see actual languages spoken that are spoken of existing actual people groups. Um, it was understandable to them. They didn't need an interpreter. They didn't need somebody to tell them what was being said because they were hearing their, what they, you know, from their own language. And multiple people were speaking multiple languages, and it was hitting all these different groups, right? You have 120 presumably speaking different languages, and all these different groups are hearing that and, and hitting it. And imagine there have been people talking about that, or at least understanding. Right? Sometimes you can hear uh, other languages being spoken. You can sometimes hear, like, you know, I don't speak French, but typically if I hear people speaking, I understand they're speaking French or some sort of dialect of that, either just the way they're speaking. And so they, they would have either understood that or at least shared amongst themselves, like, hey, they're speaking, so it's, you know, they're speaking where I'm from. Um, and so it was something that they clearly heard, and the information that was being explained to them was information about God, something about God. But the whole thing about the languages was what was drawing them in. You've probably experienced this when you've been to, you know, travel, if any of you have traveled overseas, and you hear somebody speaking English, for some reason you're always like, hey, you're from, where are you from? And they're like, I'm from Montana. And you're like, oh, I'm from Georgia. Like, for some reason you're excited, whereas, like, you could be in different parts of the country, you know, where, you know, I've never been to Montana, but I'd be excited. Um, and then sometimes they're like, I'm from Canada. And you're like, oh, okay, well, we speak English, you know, so... <laughs> Even though Montana is like close to Canada, but uh, that happens a lot. You know, sometimes when you're in Mexico, you're like, hey, where are you from? Canada. You're like, oh, okay, well, we can talk to each other, I guess. But we just don't have the same things that we can share, right? You know, we all would at least share certain, uh, you know, political systems. We would all know each other's states and history and things like that. And so it, it draws you in, though. You hear, again, like if you're in a market and you hear somebody speaking another language, you know, you might be drawn to that and be like, hey, you know, ask the question, where are you from? And uh, it's something that unites and something that bonds people together. And it says in verse 12 that they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Like, like this is really cool. They're speaking about God. Like, what is going on? These are Galileans, but they're speaking. Really it's almost like if you saw, um, uh, what, are those, what are those things happen? You know, like if you're in the mall and somebody just starts singing and then like people gather together. What is that? Yeah, there's flash mobs. Anyone ever experienced a flash mob? I've never experienced a flash mob. But, you know, we're, uh, uh, but, you know, when you see those videos, you're like, people are like, what's, what's going on? Like, someone just happened to sing, you know, and then people are together, and then they're like, well, that was kind of cool. Like, what was that about? And it was like, I don't know. We just wanted to do it. Um, but that wasn't like their thing. It wasn't like a flash mob. Let's all speak in languages and pull people together. Uh, that there is a particular intent that we're going to see next week. But they're talking about God, and they're, you know, it, it's drawing them in, you know, being devout men of God. You know, they're like, oh, that guy's speaking, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's things that kind of pull on, on, on these people's hearts and drawing them in to get a further hearing. When we lived in uh, California, we would go to, uh, sometimes we'd go to this area called Venice Beach. And Venice Beach was known for street performers. And usually, if you've ever seen a street performer um, setting up, uh, they usually try to do, try to like gather a crowd in. And so sometimes they might be like warming up or they might have like a kind of a side act they do, but they're trying to get a certain crowd because. The way that they get paid is people paying them in tips. And if you only have three people watching and you do your whole show for three people, you're only going to get three people's tips. But if you can get a crowd together, you've got more momentum. And so, um, so this speaking in tongues, in sense, is kind of akin to like getting the crowd together, pulling them around, hearing something that's going on. It piques their curiosity because then the main performance is, is about to happen. Some people, though, were, you know, were you know, dismissing it. And verse, seven, verse 13 says, others mock them, saying they are filled with new wine. Right? So some are amazed, like, this is really cool. And some are like, you know, they're just drunk. Um, and so they accused, you know, the apostles of, of drinking at this time. We'll get to that a little bit, a little bit later when we get to the next week. Um, how, is, how is that, how, how do you think that that would be similar? Why do you think they would dismiss them off as being drunk? What's that? <laughs> Maybe they didn't understand the languages, so they thought they were babbling. 
Yeah, so it could be that, that they just, just heard people talking in languages. Some, you know, again, some, some see meaning behind the content that's being said, and some just, just dismiss it off. There's an interesting portion of scripture in uh, 1 Samuel when Hannah was uh, lamenting that she hadn't had a child, and she was praying to God, but she was praying, she was crying, and she was praying, you know, uh, fervently, but she wasn't speaking out loud, and she was just moving her lips. And Eli, the priest, was like watching her and thought she was drunk, said, you know, you know, and, and uh, in his mind, and she says, no, I'm not drunk, I'm just really, I'm crying, and I'm, I'm crying out to God, and then he, he kind of, you know, is like, oh, okay. So for some that are, are not understanding it and kind of maybe even dismissing it and rejecting it, uh, these Galileans, like, what do they have to say? They're just babbling on, they're just speaking languages for no reason, you know, it's it just, just like, why, why would they be speaking all these languages? Perhaps they're just drunk, perhaps they're just you know, doing their own thing, and they, and they uh, cast them aside. But we know that a large crowd is going to gather around, and they're going to wait to hear what is being said. And so we'll dive into that next week. Um, so some think it's nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to, you know, we're going to see at least several thousand people that are going to gather together around that, around him. So, so how can we kind of draw, like, what, what can we draw? What conclusions can we see from this? Well, for, you know, one is that God never does anything in obscurity, right? If God is, is working, right, you know, sometimes it may be, uh, we might not understand what God is doing, uh, but when God moves in history, he doesn't do it in obscurity, all right? We might not understand it, but we don't want to mistake that as him not doing anything at all. He confirmed to the apostles that the Holy Spirit had come upon them, right? It, it was kind of during this time, maybe as they're praying, you know, sometimes emotionally people can be felt led, you know, I felt this way about this, I don't know if it was God, I'm not sure. And for them, it, sh- it shouldn't, be, shouldn't have been something like they were confused about because they heard it, they saw it, it was a group of people, it divided themselves among everybody, fell upon them, and then it was confirmed to them because they were speaking in different languages, and other people understood those languages, right? And the content of what they were speaking was speaking about what God is doing. So, God's uh, purposes should not be unmistakable either, right? He is going to send a shockwave into Jerusalem, right? We started with 120, and we're going to see the church explode when we get to it. Hopefully next week, we're going to see... Uh, the interim, what Peter says, because the whole point of this is to gather people around, and Peter's going to stand up, and he's going to share to these people, I know you don't quite understand what's going on, but let me, let me make it crystal clear to you exactly what's going on. And for some, it'll change their life forever. So we see the birth of the church happening here, but they're not quite done. The day's not over, and so we'll get to that next week. All right, you guys are dismissed. <laughs>